What's up, tribe? This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Bodyweight Built. Bodyweight Built has decided to jump on and support the show, which is obviously huge for me and the podcast, but also a huge step in the right direction for independent media. Bodyweight Built is an all-in-one fitness app designed by fitness trainer and buddy of mine, Matty Fox. I spoke to Matt just before Christmas and was telling him how I'd hit a plateau with my regular strength training. He recommended that I join the app, which I did. The results have been fantastic. I've shed body fat. Uh, My strength has gone through the roof, including functional strength, which is something that I've always struggled with. In the app, there are multiple 8- and 12-week programs, all designed to be done without a gym and even equipment, which was great for me because I only had a few kettlebells and dumbbells, um, so it's been fantastic. On top of those programs, there's nutrition tips and tricks, yoga classes, plus much more. Listeners of the podcast, I want you to head to mattfoxapp.com to get started for just one dollar for the first month just one dollar there's no locking contracts you can cancel at any time so if you decide after a few weeks that it's not for you cancel you've lost a dollar no harm done that's mattfoxapp.com i'll also attach the link in the description of this podcast ladies and gentlemen ladies and gentlemen podcast podcasting from sydney australia this is the prime podcast independent unfiltered and uncensored beginning in three two one so me my favorite solicitor he's back again how are you mate i'm good chris nice to be back on unfortunately some issues with our last one that we tried eh oh tell me about it (laughs) anyway it's good to have you back on the show and let me just turn this off here sorry uh but you know what do you have a problem with fake accounts on social I, media? I did, I did, but that stopped recently. I hope after we say it, people don't start again, but I had a couple. Luckily, they'll stop down pretty quickly. They'll stop pretty quickly, so it was good. But what do you do? When you're a public, when you're a public oh. figure, they get your photo and your information and do whatever they want. This is the, I've got, there's two accounts. One of them, well, there's actually multiple ones. There's two of them that just take the piss out of me. Um, coming of what they're called now, Primod Memes or Clown Primod, there's one of them. There's a few of them. And now just, I've got another message saying, uh, where are we here? I hey mate, I received a follow request from an account Chris Promont underscore. Thought I'd check if this is you or a fake. Fake, definitely fake. It's an imposter. <clears throat> I, I, I don't know what's wrong with people. I mean, to actually go out of your way to create an account um, to pretend like I, oh, too much time on their hands. Yeah, put it this way, right? If you've got twenty, well, yeah, you've got like forty or fifty or maybe even seventy, whatever. If you've got that number of followers, these people use your name to try and get your followers to do whatever they're going to do, and then it's going to publish some stupid shit. They might be one of those meme pages, or heck, it might be a business or someone trying to scam people. The scamming's the worst because then if you get duped because of the scamming, because people think it's you, that's the worst. I mean, the one that I had. They're asking some females for some pretty interesting types. Of I remember things. that. <laughs> and I'm I like, remember that you sharing that. Yeah, I'm like, dude, that that wasn't me, and it definitely wasn't. So if you're going to send it, at least send it to the right person. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you got to be careful, but because that's that's creepy. Like, imagine if if um someone does a chick out there just sends a photo of her titties or something, um, thinking it's you, and it's some just some fucking creep sitting somewhere. We, you, you know, I can just picture the person that would do that never had action in their life, probably still a virgin at the age of 40, just pretending to be Samir and asking for titty photos. It's, um, 
That, that's, a, that's a big problem with social media. You know, you're going to have accounts. I don't care about the troll accounts. Like if there's an account on there that has me with a clown face and they just they, they repost a few of my things and take the piss out of me, that doesn't bother me. What bothers me is people who, who try and pretend that it's actually me and they lead people on to think it's me. That's what I have a problem. No, I completely agree. And that should, like, that's, well, that's illegal to me because then they're doing something that they're actually using your identity and faking it. If they've got a troll account, right, people know it's not you anyway because it's bogus. It's obviously you're not going to make shit of yourself unless you decide to put up a meme page, which you may do one day and make your own. But generally speaking, you can tell. But when they're trying to claim it's you, especially if they're trying to get some type of gain, whether it be financial or any other type of gain, that's a problem. And like the issue I mentioned, what happens now if someone thinks that's actually me, send something illicit, that picture then goes viral and go, well, it was you. Well, actually, no, it definitely wasn't. But they've been duped by some idiot. So what, yeah. what happens there? It's a problem. But that, that's why I think there should be uh, there should be a, a system in place where, again, it, it's a bit dodgy, especially at the moment with what's going on with the, our you know, invasion of our privacy. But you know, I wouldn't be you know, totally against a more stricter form of verification because you've got the blue ticks, right? But let's be honest, people like you and I are never going to get blue ticks right? because of what we talk about. Yeah, but but um, the blue ticks are there for a reason. Just so you know, that's the actual person, the public figure, the celebrity, whoever it is behind that account. So you can't just make up a, you know, a, a Kevin Hart or whoever, um, Kim Kardashian page and run it pretending to be her because everyone knows that that account has a, has a blue tick next to it. So it's obvious it's not them. Um, you know, maybe there's, they could come up with some other form of tick or even just like a, a verified tick that you can tell it's a real, a real person, not a made up account. But then again, you know, that's probably at the moment, I wouldn't, slip- I don't want any more. Yeah. The slippery slope issue, right? Because you've got a point, right? Say they have a blue tick for the influencers, but you have a green tick for people who actually submit their ID and they get an ID check before. So, you know, it's a real person, but you're right. Where, what's that going to be used for? And then what's the lesser of the evils, that or what we have now? And that's the other issue that we have. And at the moment, with the current state of affairs, it's very hard to tell what the lesser of the evils actually is. Yeah, and I know that there's there's actually some social media reform coming, I believe, in Australia where they want the social media companies to be held accountable and to be a publisher. Um, I read something about that the other day. I think Morrison, it was the, the federal government have put that through. Um, and that mainly was to um, look in their words, who knows whether that's the real reason behind it, but was to um, try and get on top of online bullying and harassment and things like that, which on face val- at face value seems like a, you know, a good thing. But then we all know that, you know, what the, the story that we get sold isn't necessarily the, the end game with these people. Look, and it's going to be applied selectively. So they'll pick when they feel it's harassment. They'll decide when it's harassment. And regardless, it just comes down to how it's used and how it's utilised. The Public Health Act, for example, if you looked at it a few years ago, a lot of people would sit there and go, hey, these are actually not a bad idea. We understand why they're there and we get the premise behind it. But now we've seen how they've been used. We've seen exactly who's been targeted and we've seen a fringe in society created or that two-tier society created due to the enforcement of mandates and directions under the Public Health Act. So having the law or having mandates or having any of these, having these rules, for example, let's just say that, is one thing. How they are applied is very, very different and very important. That's the biggest factor. 
Laws are great, but if people don't follow them, they're good for nothing. You have a look at a country like India or Lebanon, and they, um, I've seen the driving in both those countries, and I can tell you now, their rules just, who cares? They've got their own rules. It's unwritten rules that they follow, right? It's very different. So who cares what the rules in writing actually say? So here, when you have acts that are enforced on certain people, like an example, I can't remember if I gave this last time I spoke to you, man, but I know, and I know of an anecdote of a magistrate's daughter. And obviously I can't name the person or the magistrate because I get shit, but mm. this person was caught out partying during COVID, during lockdown. And there was about 14 or 15 people from what I understand. Guess what happened? The whole thing was buried. Nothing was said. Nothing was said. It's a risky, I, I hope I, it, it's, look, people can say it never happened. It's not true, sure. This is an anecdotal or this is an anecdote that I received, but I received it from sources that are generally pretty valuable. And I've heard of a lot more. I've heard of very influential, affluent people getting away with a lot more during this period too. Now, when you got Boris Johnson who got away with it in England, we're not too far away from that. Do you think it's not happening here? No, of course it's happening here. And I think people need to understand that. Well, I'm sure people do understand, but I think, you know, it's not, you know, publicly available information. Like a lot of people don't even know what a lobby group is. I was talking to many people about it. They go, what's that? What, what do they do? But I'm telling you, the lobbyists, the judges, the high-level ranking police, they have their own set of rules to a certain extent. And let's just say, like, that's what I you know, this is again off topic, but um, Prince Andrew with the whole Epstein saga, like, he's never going to be convicted. It's the Queen's son. Do you really think that man's going to be convicted? Of course he's not. So, you know, there's some people that are just untouchable. Untouchable. Look, the only way people like that are going to be convicted is if the horse is bolted, if it's too late. So the flip side of what you're saying there is there's going to be scapegoats, right? Eventually, if someone has basically received this much scrutiny and media attention, it's too late what do you then do? Do you then lock them back up? Can you then bring them back? Will people ever forget it? Generally speaking, I completely agree. Mm. It, there is an issue there. There is, there's more than two tiers. Unofficially, there's more than two tiers. There's a class-based society that we have here. Mm. And at some point, there will be class-based issues like we had in England, like we've seen in England and France, for example. Mm. But getting back to that, I do think that sometimes in certain cases, I'm trying to think of the English performer, the name escapes me, but there was a particular English performer who got away with a lot of this until one day it just slipped. Too much information got out. At that point, he was smashed. And this is for pedophilia and a bunch of other things with underage children, like sexual offences. So when it gets to that point that it's too late, you can't hold, you can't hide it anymore. That's when stuff potentially changes. But Chris, that point is over here somewhere. So mm. for us, we're proving ourselves innocent half the time, especially in certain offences. Mm. I am exaggerating slightly, but you get my point. With these guys, you the burden of proof is so damn high. It's higher than any general person, and that's a good way to look at it. Generally, beyond reasonable doubt. For them, beyond any doubt whatsoever, except for that possible 0.0005%. You go down in a domestic violence matter, I can tell you the burden of proof is effectively shifted on to you or me or the defendant at that time because the complainant's evidence is seen as 
very strong and credible generally. Now, on that note, before we move on, I don't want to, I want to say I'm not talking down domestic violence here. I'm just talking about burden of proof and giving examples from my experience in the law. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, a very good point. And there's a few crimes and that's what, you know, I've said for a long time now, and, and I'm sure people listening have heard me say it, that I don't think people, you look at Jared Hayden for an example, with what happened with him, with that girl, um, you know, that's just one case. There's many cases of where a higher profile person has been charged for an offence, obviously innocent until proven guilty, right? Their name is thrown all over the TV, their images, um, you know, and you sort of know by the time they get to court, they're just going to be crucified. You know, it. like there's just so many rumours rumors circulating about it. By the time, they don't get a fair trial. They don't get no, a fair so trial. You're talking about trial by media effectively yeah. is the way we describe it. So what happens is this look, NRL players have a rough have a rough spot with this. They get hammered mm. the most. Basically, the media gives it a version. They'll slam this person. They'll be on the news consistently. They'll just walk into court, and I've had clients who've been in this position. So that's what I'm saying. You walk, they walk into court, walk out. They're on TV. They're on camera. They get asked several questions, and the media says, well, this person, they do say, don't get me wrong, they'll say it's alleged. Mm. But by this point, their face is there, the charges are there, the accusations are there. Even if this person's found innocent later, the damage is done. If now, even talking about a general, like let's just say a person in their a male, 40s or 50s, again, I'm generalizing here, who's charged with an assault, a sexual assault against a child, for example, they're found innocent or they're found to be, or they're exonerated. Do you think that the reputational damage that comes along with that will ever go away? No. no the answer is no. They won't have a criminal history. But will they ever live that down? The answer is no. And are they a victim in this? If they haven't committed the crime, they haven't genuinely committed the crime, they are a victim. And this is something I've wanted to talk about for a while and I've mentioned it to other people, but some people aren't ready for this. There are victims on both sides. False allegations are made. I'm not saying the majority are false at all. So hear me out carefully, but false allegations are made. You see people locked up who are innocent. You see people getting their name rubbed through the dirt who are innocent. And the example you gave with particularly influential people, it does happen because how do they get away from the media, especially in a situation where they may not have done the wrong thing? And remember this, for everyone listening, someone could be an absolute dickhead, right? A really bad person by your standards doesn't mean they're a criminal, they may be, I don't know, if you're completely against adultery, for example, they're having an affair with someone, they then tell this person, oh, look, I'll, I'll think about marrying you and leaving my wife, for example, using because people know this. This is why I'm using these mm. genders, right? But And then says later, look, I can't leave my wife. I'm sorry. My wife and kids, I'm going to stay with them. I'm done with you. This person then says, oh, no, this person actually lied to me, so I'm going to go claim rape. Uh, and this is a real scenario case that I've dealt with and been involved with previously, what happens to this person? I'm not saying he's a great person. I'm not saying he's a religiously brilliant person or ethically has great standards and morals, but is a criminal? Stupid, bad, wrong, but we need to draw the line somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. I know there's some countries, I know Ireland's one of them, where um, the media aren't allowed to release names of, of um, offenders. So they do get a fair trial. I don't think they should be allowed personally. I don't think they should be allowed to report on it until the matter has been finalized in court because it does, it does. Like 
I, I support the Bulldogs, right? I support the Bulldogs. Yeah. And, and still to this day, when I tell some people, oh, who do you support our Bulldogs? Oh, rapists. Like, what? The rapists. I'm like, man, that happened 15 years ago. No one was ever charged with rape. What are you even talking about? Like, shut up. Yeah. But that, that reputation sticks. No one was ever um, found guilty of that. No one. But yet it stuck to that the particular playing group and players in that group, obviously. Um, and it's just, you know, it should not, they should not be allowed to reveal the name and details of a matter until it's been heard in court. I, I believe that it, strongly. Look, and this is a very interesting point because if you, I think you're, down, you're going down the right track with that. The flip side is going to be, well, what about the victim or the complainant and what about what they've gone through? But you know what? They probably don't want their name revealed at that point anyway either and maybe a lot of them. I, and this is something that I am not completely 100% on. I'd have to speak to a lot more complainants and victims, but they'd want to know that their name is going to be held securely and not published until it is final. But going on the principle of innocent until proven guilty, what you've said makes complete sense. Until they're actually guilty, they're not guilty because trial by media makes this person guilty. They're an offender for the rest of their lives, regardless of being exonerated. They can win a miraculous win, but will that, will that smear ever go away? Most likely not, especially with certain offences. So what you've raised is a very interesting point. And I have to admit, I didn't know that about Ireland, but that's actually quite interesting. I guess the only dilemma we have here is our system's a bit backlogged. And if a trial doesn't get on or doesn't get into the court system for a good two or three years, say two years, do you just hold it back for two years and this person gets a reprieve? Is that necessarily wrong? Don't think so, but that could be an argument that's used against it as well. I just don't know, man, but I see where you're coming from and I like it. Yeah, and but I think it'll be definitely interesting and maybe worth a shot, but who knows if we'll ever get there. Anyway, what's been happening in um, the land of mandates and how are things playing out at the moment? Look, state of emergencies, and this is what I'm getting told and what I'm hearing, are uh, eventually going to, well, uh, that's, that's like, that's a, not a really hard uh, prediction to make that they're eventually going to come to an end, but not too long. For example, in South Australia, we've already received correspondence through the health practitioners we work with saying that the state or the emergency declaration, as it's called there, may come to an end. It's being looked at right now. So effectively, that could happen. However, South Australia Health wants to keep the vaccination requirements and mandates going regardless. They don't want to take it off at this point. And they proposed that a temporary measure be put in place and the mandates basically supersede any declaration for a period of time. But what that tells me, other states are soon to follow. With New South Wales changing their mandates slightly, although the funny thing with New South Wales is it's a bit up and down. Apparently, certain practitioners can work. However, we're getting told that they can't because they, the workplace is still saying no. So it's still up in the air. People, are, people feel that it's definitely changed. I don't think that's the case yet. We're, we still need to investigate more and find out a lot more. And some of these things will work slow anyway. But I think eventually, within the next few months, we're going to see some of the state of emergencies and declarations ending we will effectively then officially see the pandemic coming to a halt or being pulled back, reined back. Then what we are going to see is a shift to the employers and to the states on a different level rather than just using their mandates in order to enforce some of the provisions that they did and mandates and directions that they have before. One of them obviously being the juice policy. That's going to be a big one. 
And that's one that we have to look out for. This is still new landscape, people. Like we just don't know enough. However, that is what's around the corner. And I don't know how many months we're looking at. Um, my guesstimate is by August, we'll see it. I think in some states, it'll be quicker. The states that I predict will be last or take the longest are going to be Western Australia and Victoria. I could be completely proven wrong now because they may turn around and say, we've done such a great job. We're going to stop it earlier. You know, Mark Ooh. McGowan and bloody what's his face. Uh, Andrews might pull it out of the bag and say, no, we've done such a good job. We're going to end it earlier. But that's what I'm looking at at the moment. So, okay, so in my mind, I'm thinking maybe they will, but I don't see them doing it until the end of winter. I think that's probably right. I think it's probably right. Uh, and will it come? It's coming. They're raining back on certain things already, right? That's mm. we're seeing that countrywide. So the end of winter would be a good estimate as well. I think by August we'll see some states at least, and I think even though it's not quite the end or close to there, there could be other reasons behind it, but I don't think you're wrong. You could, it could be a good estimate, but I do, I'm pretty confident that it'll be before summer this year. Yeah, well, I think that, you know, these, especially when we're talking about WA and Victoria, let's be very honest, the, the leaders in those states, um, you know, if they can keep these on and use the excuse of winter as a reason, um, I don't see why they wouldn't do it. As you said, I, you know, I could be wrong as well, but, you know, for... You know, the last two years has taught me anything. It's that there's a few leaders um, in this country that are that are driven by power, not by necessity. Um, and obviously, Victoria and WA being the main two, Queensland as well, but in the Northern Territory, um, New South Wales has been, you know, better than the other states. Um, but you know, it's always you always well, I am anyway. I'm never comfortable or confident when they because you know they'll start removing mandates and this then you'll hear the media start speaking about a new variant that's you know more contagious than the previous one you say because we all know what the media do we know there's a reason why they're doing it right so is it is it deliberate is it just them trying to get ratings by by using fear um i don't know but i think like we i think we all know now that the mandates are a useless piece of paper they don't they don't do anything they haven't stopped anything the first cruise ship uh, that was allowed in western australia there was a covid outbreak on the on the ship and everyone had to be double or triple vax to be on the ship including staff so um you know that in itself and i think like 24 hours later they decided to remove mandates so you know we all sort of it's like a what's the term I'm looking for? Like an unspoken truth that we all know that, you know, they don't really work. It's not, you know, if they were, you know, even 90% or higher effective at stopping uh, transmission or someone even getting it, you could definitely make the argument um, that- The irony behind what's happening. 100%. It's the irony behind what's happening. And I think what you're pointing out there is, is that like, it is a question we get asked. Is it going to be over as soon as the state of emergency declarations are over or the mandates drop? The answer is no, it's not. Hmm. It's that is my simple, like it's not, it's never black and white, but that's as close as I can get to it. It's not over straight away. How can, have- how can they enforce men? So if the state of emergency is ended, would that not mean that the mandates are immediately invalid unless they they 
create another form of legislation or act to Bingo. fix that? Bingo. So then it's either an amendment in the Public Health Act or some other type of legislation, correct? But there's more to this too. So firstly, state of, state of emergency ends around the country. Let's just say it happens tomorrow. What's next? As I said, in South Australia, South Australia Health wanted to put something in place temporarily, and they probably can under their act. Arguably, they can anyway. I think it can be fought. Don't get me wrong. It can be challenged. But it's the same with the mandate. You could challenge it, but how many people do it? So they'll put that into place. So that will happen after. Then will they permanent? Will they make it permanent, I should say? Probably not. But then what about APRA or the bodies who govern particular health agencies or other companies that are doing it? They may then do it. Again, can it be challenged? The answer is yes. But the lesson that these people learned, and this is where it goes back to your point about what the media is showing, is there a reason behind that? The lesson that these people have learned, the government has pushed it down now onto the employers and whatnot. And if it's done as a collective on the large scale, it makes it easier for them to get away with it because you now have to have multiple challenges, people challenging here, here, and there. Don't get me wrong. It can be one and should be one and should be done. But the point is that's how I think they'll do it. APRA, for example, have released a, no, a new code of conduct. It doesn't apply to every practitioner. It doesn't apply to nurses, doctors, and psychologists, but it does apply to dentists, chiros, osteos, Chinese medicine practitioners. And it now says being immunized is best practice and recommended. What happens if they make it a condition of registration? We have to fight that too. So there are a few battles around the corner. And what happens, just imagine telling a mechanic, oh, sorry, you have to be vaccinated because if you're not, you can't work here. And we've now all seen and heard of the gossip and talks about how the government may be paying off in incentive, giving companies and businesses incentives to do it. If they're getting these incentives to do it, why wouldn't they do it? I actually heard some, I heard something. I've never heard that. Oh, really? I look at media, look at media and their tax cuts. How's that not a great incentive? And then you're going to do it. What about in law? Put it this way. If you're, if you're a law firm that does a lot of government work, why wouldn't you continue? Like, why would you want to bite the hand that feeds you? Would you fight the mandates against the government or would you just let it be and either stay neutral or support it? Especially when you're getting millions of dollars from the government. If you're getting government contracts, why would you stop it? Why would you not listen? That's a very easy way, but that's just one way. Now, there are, look, I've only heard of this. It's not all proven, but the media tax cuts, are definite. They were out there. I think mm. that was last year, I believe. But what happens if they introduce more of these instead and say, well, what if, if you have an employee who's sick or whatever or whatever? They, they could introduce something that doesn't directly liaise with it, doesn't directly deal with it, but it may indirectly assist the company and say, well, we're going to give you a leg up if you do this but, or if you make sure your employees have to be vaccinated or have it in your contract. But then again, it could just be the cultural shift because people might start believing that's the thing to do because it's been done for the last two years. We haven't done it, nor would we. A lot of businesses haven't done it, especially smaller businesses, but that doesn't mean the bigger businesses haven't. I know a lot of law firms that have, especially big ones. So look, there's a number of ways they can do it and it just becomes a whole different challenge. That's the other issue we have. They've done it from the federal level, right? I mean, the Fed, I don't care what, what Morrison says. But, you know, the federal government could have at any point over the past what, 12 plus months now 
um, I've ended the mandate. Even without them taking action, you know, a simple phone call from Morrison to Andrews, hey, mate, listen, pull up your current like a dickhead, you know, stop it, rah, rah, rah. Um, you know, so there was no effort made from uh, on a federal level to end the mandate. So they just pushed down that responsibility to the states. Um, and, and I feel like the states will push that down again mm-hmm. to, to businesses. Um, I do think that's going to happen. And I think businesses that have it in place now, especially the bigger ones, not so much the little ones, but the bigger ones, Coles, Woolies, you know, I can't see them stopping them. I just can't. No, and Coles and Woolworths have had an amazing two years. People should understand. They've made the most money, or are they two of the companies that have made the most money in the last two years? Harvey Norman have done well, JB Hi-Fi have done well, but Coles and Woolworths, how do you not go to Coles and Woolworths? You might have IGA or a few independent grocers or independent shops available too, but generally speaking, you're going to go there. You think they'd do more for the community when they've done so bloody well. And maybe there arguably are. Maybe I just haven't seen it or heard of it. But why do they need to enforce these things? They're serving vaccinated and unvaccinated individuals. So why are they putting vaccine, like, vaccine mandates on their employees? I don't care whether they're vaccinated or not. I'm pretty sure a lot of shop uh, people that shop there don't care either. Why? What are they doing? What kind of virtue signaling is this? It's absolutely ludicrous, in my opinion, and it upsets me that they do it. I would love to have a great third, you know, third competitor, someone who's strong and get into the market. I still believe in shop local and independent, but not everyone has that around them, unfortunately, mm. and that is a problem. A good third competitor would be great. IGA is doing a bit. I don't think IGA have enforced it, although I could be completely wrong on that, so I'm not sure. But someone who actually takes a different standpoint, a bit more neutral, would be brilliant. And it might come to the point, man, like you know how you have to label MSG. You might have to say, well, look, we're labeling ourselves as open, which I don't I don't like that. I don't like that. But Ooh. we may have to look into that and support the businesses that support us because that's the only way we can really do it. I don't want people terminated for that. I think it's disgusting. They're getting their livelihoods put on the line just to enforce virtue signaling, which in this current day with the current variant makes even less sense than it did before. Well, it's completely illogical. And I think, you know, these corporations that enforce it, they would know at the top level, they would know that it's it's just at my local calls. I was talking to the assistant manager. She told me she had just come back from isolation after coming down with COVID. She gave it to 10 out of the 12 staff that she'd work with. Yeah, and they're okay. all, all of them, all of them are double or triple vaccinated, right? And I'm right. thinking, you know, we had a bit of a smirk about it and that was it. And I've got to know my opinion on it. Uh, my daughter's daycare, same thing, same thing. Went through the whole daycare. All the staff have to be vaccinated. Went through the whole daycare. Half the staff were, were gone. They were, um, you know, short staff for, for, for a week, even longer. Um, so it, it's ridiculous. And but it's like just this thing where people know it's so ridiculous, like they know it, but yeah, they, they continue to do it because I don't know whether they're scared of the you know, if they were to say, Listen, yeah, we're ending the mandates, whether or not some customers and, and maybe some stakeholders will get upset mm-hmm. or, or the government, who knows? But there's it's so ridiculous, it's so so ridiculous. You know, this is going to be like one of those old wives' tales. Like, you know, the shit that we, we get told to do is we found out that actually doesn't work. It's going to be the same thing. Completely, completely. Look, and this is in other industries as well. We're seeing it in banks. 
we're seeing it in look not just banks retail and whatever but you have a look at the banks westpac have terminated a lot of people already mm. westpac basically told from what i'm being told by clients that they were told if i don't shut up they'll get hammered and they will be terminated they were basically threatened their jobs were put on the line and they were told you need to come look obviously a lot of people told just get vaccinated or you'll be terminated but to not even be allowed to speak about it and to have threats made that way i think that's highly inappropriate but there are allegations that have been made against westpac westpac i'm sure will deny that mm. although i've had a couple of phone calls recently saying that no it's completely true one person actually worked higher up in the department and said it's true i just wish we had more whistleblowers that could come out and relay this information so it doesn't just come from me because i'm sure a bunch of people say well how do we believe you which is fine question me all you want but i can't force these people to come out i can also tell you that i know of fake certificates that were being used by influential people like i'm talking about medical practitioners who use fake certificates fake vaccination certificates i'm talking about to keep their jobs that's not uncommon it's not uncommon and yes i know about it but what what do i do if people don't come out like that's a great way for them to keep their job what about people who have kept it going say no way we're not going to do that we're not going to get these we're going to continue doing what we're doing these are a lot there's a lot underneath this and you know what some people have swept under that or gone under the carpet or gone under the radar that way others haven't you obviously haven't we haven't as a bunch of people just said no way we're not going to do that and have put their neck on the line and this is what's interesting regardless of what we're saying here people are going to have a different opinion which is fine but when has someone been alienated so much for something like this we're not talking about starting world wars being racist we're not saying go kill everyone i don't think either of you me or you said oh you know what fuck all these vaccinated people we're going to go kill them all and all the no one said that just no. saying let people live and let live that's it yet we're demons for saying that being like what anti vaxxers become is ridiculous basically one question and you're an anti vaxxer Bloody hell, these days I reckon if you question Dan Andrews, you're an anti-vaxxer. Not because you're not vaccinated or boosted or fucking triple boosted. It's because you said, oh, Dan Andrews is a dickhead. Anti-vaxxer, buddy. Anti-vaxxer. No, it doesn't make yeah. sense. But that's just what they've done to to marginalise the people that, that haven't got it. Now, you know, I, I mean, I, I could have easily, no problem, I could have got a fake, fakey little tick and all the rest of it. and, and but, but you know what? Even that I couldn't do because it, for me, it's it's a... It's a moral objection for me. Not only is I don't want it because it, I don't, I don't think it's necessary for myself, but mm. it gets to that point where it, it's a morally for me. It's like, well, no, I don't fucking want to. I don't want to play. Like, I'm not going to play that game with you. I don't want to walk up to the door of a shop and go, here, here's my tick. Fuck that. I'd rather not just not go. Right. Completely. Um, completely. Yeah, I agree. That and, and a lot of people feel the same way. Like, you don't even want to fake it because it, it's you know, going against what you believe in. And if you believe in, in freedom and you believe in the freedom to make your own medical choices, well, then you can't just go parading a little fake tick because then you become part of the problem, right? You're just, you're going along with it. Um, right. I want no part in that. Um, and I never, no, I, no part, including the the masks and all the rest of it. I'm no part of it. I'm not fucking playing that game. Like, I don't want to play that game. Like, leave me out of it. Okay, now, Samir, what happened recently? You shared a few posts i'll get into it just so i get it right because you had a busy few months and a big few months i know that you had the issue with the or the matter that was with the council of the gold coast yeah it was um a win i think they actually backed out before it even made it to hearing is that right 
That's correct. So before the conciliation, before we had a chance to talk of the, uh, talk about it, an email was sent to all the employees saying they're going to drop it. This was Queensland, by the way, and just so everyone knows, this is the Gold Coast City Council. That was great. That was one of the bigger wins that we've had. Now, that was really good. That was basically, they are a pro-choice organisation or a bunch of, I think it's like 4,000 employees there. About 1,000 employees that we know of supported this, supported pro-choice and many more that were not willing to put their name to it. Mm. So what I'm saying is they want to stay neutral. They didn't want to join. Then there was obviously paying members and different levels. But that was a good drive, and that's why that succeeded. People power. People power always comes out on top. Have you noticed Have you noticed a sort of a snowball effect from that where other adjoining councils or have decided to drop them as well or was it sort of one-off with them? The problem is, look, I've heard of others do it. Like the, I believe the fireys in Queensland succeeded as well and a couple of other organisations. Interestingly, Queensland, that succeeded. The problem that we're seeing, like, for example, Parramatta Council, I've had people contact me from there. Uh, what was the other council? Uh, our local council here, Camden, they've contacted me, but the groups weren't big enough. And they weren't ready to take it to the next level. Whereas these guys were ready to go. They were just bang on, let's do this. And that's what I've seen to be an issue with other organisations. So has there been a flow-on effect? I think there has for some of the closer councils, but not all over Australia. Because in the end, I think some councils look at it and go, okay, what can we achieve? Or some businesses generally, what can we achieve? Can we push down harder or hold this? And will they push against us? When they see crap, these guys will push against us that then they'll look at it and go, okay, maybe we've made the wrong decision. Let's negotiate or let's leave it. If they don't feel they're going to get pushback, they won't. And this is where that people power thing comes in. Ultimately, engaging us, getting something done, like to that point, we didn't have to run it. They just dropped it. But they knew there was a legal team. They knew we were ready. They knew we had a number of people who were interested or stakeholders and didn't want the policy. So it changed. This is what we need for others. We're doing the same thing with CBA now. We don't have as big an organisation, but we're doing a very similar thing. We had our first directions yesterday. There's more to come. This is going to be a long one. Look, guys, let me put it this way. CBA have a shit ton of money. They're a bank. You know, they've been around for a while. We have an organisation or association with dozens. I can't remember exactly the number. I have to find out. But a number of people, it's about it's close to 100, I think, and could be more. And I'll start pushing it more because I want people to understand this association exists. These guys don't have the same amount of funds as what Commonwealth Bank has. So what will Commonwealth Bank do? They'll just push it on as long as they can. They'll put, they'll make create barriers because they know that the resources on our side are limited. Resources on their side are effectively unlimited. So that is where the discrepancy comes in. That's where their power comes from. That's fucking wrong, is isn't it? It's so wrong. Completely. Completely. This is commercial law for you and law here, like employment law here. And I want people to understand this is one little bit. They have resources. We don't. That's where their power comes from. Not the legality, not the legitimacy, not the veracity of what they're doing. Purely the fact that they have resources and they can hold on longer. If the CBA association gets the same thing and we're on an even playing field, let's see what happens. In fact, even now, let's see what happens. But if they're on an even playing field, I don't think CBA will be playing the same way. And everyone needs to understand that. And that's with other organisations too, not just CBA, just generally around the board or on the or with uh, any company really. Well, that'll lead us into the question. So 
as I spoke to you before about it, so I have members of, of ProMod Premium um, will submit questions for my guests. Uh, the question that was submitted, um, Terence was his name. Now, the question disappeared, but I read it to you, so I know what it was anyway. So what Terence yeah. was wanting to know was when the government do drop mandates for certain industries, mm-hmm. and if the employer chooses to enforce it, and as a result, um, Terence will lose his, his job, yep. will it be easier for him to fight that as an unfair dismissal um, once the government sort of back out of their part of it, and it's solely the responsibility of their employer? The answer, if I give you a one-word answer, it's yes. But the longer answer is it's still not going to be a simple black and white win. There's still going to be a procedure that needs to be followed, and this is going to happen to multiple companies. But, look, I'm not sure, Terence, who you work for, what you do exactly, but let's just say you're in a mandated industry right now then you're basically struggling at the moment. You can't do much. Mandates drop, then it's up to the company if the company puts it in and has it as a policy, which I'm assuming they have, which is why the question's there. So then you're challenging the company. One of your arguments would be there is no state of emergency. There is no mandate in place anymore. I'm in a non-mandated industry now. The risk is lower and so on and so forth. And you continue arguing there. It's going to take a couple of big wins overall to help everyone. So what I want to see, is a couple of people, individuals or associations taking this all the way, taking it to the federal jurisdiction, the federal courts, basically getting expert evidence saying the risk, especially outside the pandemic and outside the mandates, the risk is minimal. These people should be allowed to work. A couple of wins there, then helps Terence, then helps other people in that same position. Yes, you should fight it. Yes, especially if you're not in a mandated industry, you should fight it. It's much harder if you're in a mandated industry. But the answer is it will be, it's a stronger case, 100% a stronger case. And we say that now. If you're in a non-mandated industry and you can work from home, even stronger case. Look, for example, a solicitor, why can't they work from home? I mean, yes, they have to go to court, but which court? Supreme Court has ABL, and if they're not if they're not allowing unvaccinated practitioners do it by ABL, not that I like it, I think it's ridiculous, but let's just say they do. There's a local court, there's other courts as well. District court don't care anymore either. So then, if you can if you can fulfil your duty, what's the problem? And there are a bunch of other industries like that, IT, many more. If you're a teller, face to face, you're getting crap for this. I don't think you should. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying it's going to be harder for you to fight it than it is for these other examples that I've used. Doesn't mean you shouldn't, and I'd still like to see you fight it. It may just be the matter of taking it up as high as possible to the federal jurisdiction and having expert evidence that says there isn't a risk. And these experts are now growing in number, and that's why the sentiment around the country is changing. And in the current environment, people just need to stop being so scared and intimidated by nothing you're intimidated by the ghost that doesn't exist right now. You're making it up to scare yourself. That's called insecurity. Get over yourselves and let people actually work. And that's what we have right now. This beautiful country of Australia is becoming a really insecure country. And that frustrates me because it shouldn't be the case. Well answered. And that's, um, before you go, I know you've got to jump, but um, I'll add on to that very quickly as well. So with that study I shared with you the other night, which also shared on my page of, of the fact that if you're in the age group of 18 to 24 years male, um, there's actually a higher risk of you ending up with, with myocarditis, vaccine-induced myocarditis 
than it would be from infection. Now, that was a huge study, huge study, millions and millions of people. Does that not hold weight in a legal, just say you lost your job for unfair dismissal. If you presented that study to a magistrate, I don't know how it works, whether they even want to look at it. Uh, I have no uh, idea, but surely isn't, isn't that grounds? Say, listen, you're asking me to take an unnecessary risk. Like that is not a risk I want to take. And it's my right to say that I don't want to take that risk. I'd rather, I'd rather risk it from the infection. The problem is, Chris, you then need an expert in that area to actually relay that study and do a report based on that study or give evidence based on that study because the legal system won't just accept that study. A self-represented person might be able to get away with a little bit more, but as a practitioner, we'd need to say, hey, I want an expert. Now, for example, myocarditis, I have an expert in that area, cardiologist, come in and say, oh, look, I reviewed that study. This is serious. I actually agree with what this study is saying, or at the bare minimum, that because of this study, there are other things that need to be checked out. There is an increased risk, and the risk is less than potentially COVID, for example. So more than getting COVID and dying from COVID, for example. So we now have an imbalance and blah, 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 so on and so forth. That's the issue we have because these studies aren't bad. We can read them, but a judge or a magistrate or whoever, whatever judicial officer in front of a fair work conciliator, arbitrator, they're going to turn around and say, well, we're not experts in the area. That's a study, sure, but where's your expert? So these cases require that expert. I'm not saying it's fair. And this is, again, where you have an issue because experts charge money and they cost money. Luckily, some cases have managed to find people who have done it for very little or who have done it on the sly. I think some have done it for free. I'm not sure, but not everyone can do that. And if you imagine the if you imagine some of the best experts in the world, like Martin Kuldoff, Dr. Bhattacharya, they're pretty busy. So you can imagine they're not going to be available all the time. And the problem with the Australian jurisdiction is they want Aussies. And a lot of Aussie experts won't want to go to court because they're scared. They don't want to lose yeah. their jobs. They don't want to put their name on the line. So that's a problem we have. So there's a bit of a conundrum, isn't it? So the court says to you, we want Aussie experts because they're better. The Aussie expert that actually has a different opinion says, I can't do this because if I go there, I'm going to get slammed and that's the end of my career. So what do you do? Your hands are tied. You go overseas and then the court rules and says, well, it's not really good enough. Quite frankly, they need to give more credence to overseas experts. And really, we need a cultural change here to support these experts, to make sure they don't get hindered, they don't get... Their reputations are not burnt because they're telling the truth or telling the truth from what they believe is to be the truth. There's experts on both sides. If someone says COVID is really deadly, even now it's going to kill everyone, we shouldn't open up, that's their professional opinion. I respect that. I have no issue with that, but I have experts telling me the opposite. In the end, we should be allowed to see both sides and make a decision, a genuine informed decision, and that's not what's happening. So that's a bit of an issue that we have. One more thing, sorry. APRA. No, you're right. One of the things I was meant to ask you, I was going to call you, but I didn't get around to it. APRA apparently have changed something to state that even if what you're saying is true, so let's just say a doctor was to repeat that study, right? Because it goes against the government health advice. It's not correct. I've Look, that's generally speaking, I don't think, I think that's basically been the case for a while. I think the same similar things happened with HIV and other diseases or ailments previously as well. APRA is not as independent as they should be. In fact, APRA is not independent. APRA is crap. 
And we need a second board or something that actually does a proper job with independence. Our practitioners are there for a reason. And it doesn't make sense that we have APRA telling them what is right and wrong completely. If our practitioners do the research, APRA shouldn't be jumping on their back, right? Now, the problem is if we had someone from a whole different industry who's not in that profession saying it's a little bit different, it's harder to argue. But if a cardiologist turns around and looks at a study that you mentioned and said, well, there is an increased risk, I'm I'm a bit sceptical, APRA shouldn't be jumping on their back because they're a specialist. But look, this is nothing new. APRA don't like free speech. And in fact, the fact if you promote it, like you said, if you posted anything that was considered anti-mandate, anti-vaccine, anti-whatever, APRA came against you. They're ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. APRA is a farce. I don't, I think they need to be completely restructured, maybe get rid of them, uh, make a complete independent board. Who funds APRA? Look, I believe the practitioners who register, but I believe there's government funding as well. There is legislation around APRA. So, look, I've heard of these bloody who things that are who owns APRA and all this crap. There, there, there wouldn't be. Oh, I've seen that video. God, that was that time that I think you responded to that where they said yeah, that, that Bill, Bill Gates Bill Gates is now controlling APRA or some craziness. But people believe that sort of thing. Yeah, look, hate me all you want, but I don't give any credence to that whatsoever. I'm not saying I'm a fan of APRA if you just heard everything I said. Uh, maybe listen to it again. I'm not. They do some pretty bad things and they're not doing a good job. And a lot of practitioners have not been a fan of them for a while. I've seen practitioners who were heavily involved in HIV and HIV research and whatnot who were targeted by APRA as well at a a specific point in one. This is no different now. It will change. People will come to realise what's going on. It will just take a few years' time. But, yeah, man, that was crap. I don't – Bill Gates and stuff is a second story. Let's just deal with what we're doing here. Even if that's true, we can do – like, that's – we're just – that's too far from us at this point. It was like the Constitution or something. They've made – they've formed a new Constitution. <laughs> yeah. The one? yeah, the who – who now owns them and the who Constitution applies. I got sent that so many times from people same, saying, oh, yeah. my God, why haven't you spoken about this? I'll tell you why, because it's bullshit. That's why. Exactly. I don't want to give exactly. it any more attention. Uh, oh. All right, brother. All right, brother. Take care. Thanks for me. I'll um, yeah, I'll chat to you later. But um, it's always a pleasure, mate. And keep doing the great work you're doing. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Chris. Catch us next time. See you, buddy. See ya.